0: I God, you are God, of all else I'm letting go. Oh. We'll be continuing on uh, as we uh, continue to study uh, the book of Jonah. And If you don't have a Bible, um, it should be on the screen behind me as well. So here's the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. When the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making this, all, all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dried land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. And I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to him. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much uh, for your word that it speaks to us your truth. And so this morning, I pray you would help us to hear it through your Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. So I, was, I had a conversation with a friend last night, and I was, that's what I was preaching on. I said, Jonah. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's the one where, like, you know, there's a person swimming out in the water, and, a, a, you know, a big fish comes and, and kills the person. And so they, they send out a crew of people to go out and hunt this fish, and it ends up in a big disaster, and only two of them live. And I was like, no, 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 that's Jaws. And he, he, it was a joke. Um, but then you ever think about the perception people have uh, for, uh, for Christians, of Christians? Uh, they look at Christians, and what do they think of normally? I, I think, from my experience, when I talk to people who are not believers, who, who do not um, follow Jesus, and maybe don't have a lot of experience, or maybe they do have experienced Christians, maybe that's a problem, is they usually think that Christians are really just about a bunch of rules. About what you should and shouldn't do. More about what we shouldn't do. I, I think, if, if anything, we're, we're kind of known for what we should, what you shouldn't do. There's a list of bad things you shouldn't do. And so, you know, the way we've taught Jonah fits right into that, doesn't it? We've kind of said that. When you look at the book of Jonah, you you look at it and you think, uh, and it's been taught. Here's this, you know, little story that's made for little kids that if, you know, if you disobey God like Jonah did, he was called to go to Nineveh, and you disobey, and uh, and so God's going to bring a big fish and he's going to swallow you whole. So if you do bad things, God's going to make you pay. And so you better not do bad things. And if, but if you are, have done bad things, okay, repent and start doing the right things. So don't be like Jonah. That's the moral of the story. problem with that is it doesn't end that way. So if it, that was true, the story would go, Jonah disobeyed. The, he you know, got himself into trouble. He repented. He finally went to the Ninevites. They repented. Uh, you know, he preached judgment to them. They repented. And he celebrates with them happily ever after. That's not the end of the story. At the end of the story, we see Jonah pouting, furious, and angry. And it ends that way. So what's it about? Well, the story of Jonah we've seen is about not disobeying god and then or being like not like jonah or being a good guy or a girl or whatever it's about the heart of idolatry and that jonah rebelled and turned against god not just because he was being a bad guy but because his heart was chasing after things other than god and and So Jonah's story is really, it's actually kind of a portrayal of the practical insanity that comes when we chase other things than than God himself. And so, and our whole reality begins to become warped and shaped by that. And so, in the book of Jonah, we see into the heart of idolatry. Okay, We, we saw last week, the week before, why he ran? He ran because his heart wanted things above what, uh, God Himself, and we said idolatry. Okay, just remember we re- re- redefine that. Okay, idolatry is looking to your own wisdom and competence or some other created thing to provide the power, approval, comfort, and security that only God can provide. So it's seeking anything out side of God to provide you what you think you need and that could be anything good or bad and so what do we learn from that what does idolatry do to us what is what are the 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 symptoms and results so to speak of idolatry that's kind of what I look at today is where did it take Jonah where did it lead him in his life all right so let's take a look what we can learn from Jonah's idolatry. And the first thing is. Is idols always drive us away from God. Idols always drive us away from God. Let's call this spiritual disobedience. Spiritual disobedience. Okay. And so let's go to the commandments. When you think about Christians. We already said. Uh, when you look at the Ten Commandments. And you ask people. if You go to, out on the street somewhere. And with a microphone, you you know, you got to do that. And you go out on the street somewhere and you ask somebody, hey, can you name some Ten Commandments? And most people would be able to say, yes, I can name. And guess where they're going to start? Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. You know, and and they might even be smart enough to say, "Don't, don't do anything on Sunday. Observe the Sabbath. What's funny is though, if you ask most people, I could almost I could I would be willing to bet good money on this. If you ask most people, what's the first what's the first commandment? They're gonna say, do not murder, probably, right? Problem is that's like down in the list, like sixth or something, right? Fifth, sixth, seventh? Thank you, seventh. So what is the first? The first is did you see this in Deuteronomy 5? You shall have no other gods before me. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why God put that first. And normally we would think, well, that's not that big a deal. Especially in the the modern secular mind. Putting things before God, that's, that's not that big a deal. Murder, pretty big deal. On the scale of things, right? But God puts this first. Why? Because... Jesus said it, Uh, you can bring this up for me, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So let's think about it in marriage. Commitment in marriage to one person makes marriage possible. You know, I mean, like who's married somebody who says, well, I mean, I guess it happens. But most of us are not going to be OK with somebody saying, yeah, I'm, uh, I love you. I will marry you. But I want all these other people, too. So the beauty of commitment and marriage is that it actually, even though it seems like a bondage, it actually frees you to actually love somebody and to be yourself and to be genuinely loved. Because, you no longer you're not performing anymore. You've both committed to each other in a covenant that says, no matter what, I will stay with you. And that allows the other person to be themselves and to be known. And two people who can know, these, know each other genuinely. Without that commitment, it's not there. And so God says, you, there should be no gods before me. In other words, the most important commandment is that, that I be God to you and I alone be God to you. And so, um, so that think, think about you know, the Ten Commandments. So Martin Luther pointed out wisely, the reason to this, is that in order to break the, the, those other commandments down the list, like murder, stealing, and whatever, that y- you first have to break the first commandment. You know, you know, it's like a domino effect. So we normally think... Okay, I committed murder, therefore that means I have some, you know, that then therefore. It, it's, it's like if you have committed murder, you have put something in your heart before God. It's like a domino effect. And if you put other things before God, you will break those other commandments. And Martin Luther wisely pointed that out. And so in Jonah's life, let's look at Jonah's life here. And We mentioned some of the things that were the idols in his heart. His, his, his nationality, his patriotism, his, his, his reputation, his ministry, his job, whatever you want to call it, was on the line here. And even so, and also his sense of own sense of rightness and righteousness uh, that he felt like a better person than the Ninevites and so on. So he had these idols, and those idols push, put God over here, and he put them up over here above God. And that caused him to run. Because if you think about Jonah, I don't think Jonah had on his list to run away and go to Tarshish. I don't think he was dreaming of Tarshish, you know, and that vacation. Because, like, I don't think it was, it, was, it was as far into the uh, wilderness, so to speak, far away from civilization that he could have gotten in the other direction from Nineveh, from what we know. So he wasn't thinking, oh, I can't wait to go to Tarshish Man. It is so lovely there. And the party scene is great. You know, they have good margaritas. Nothing like that. He ran and he went in that direction entirely because he had put things before God. So, in other words, his idolatry led to his disobedience. But idolatry also, it doesn't just um, cause us to disobey God, it drives us away from Him. I mean, notice it says that He immediately rose up and fled the presence of the Lord. So when, when we set up idols in our hearts, it's going to lead us into disobedience and it's going to lead us away from the presence of God. That's number one. That idols always drive us away from God. Secondly, idols always take us down. And I'm using the word down here. And I'll explain what I mean here. Um, and, and, and another way to put this is it leads us into spiritual darkness. And in, in the passage here, there's a key word. When I had to translate this when I was in seminary, uh, one of the key words that just kept coming up is the word down. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship. He went down into the bottom of the ship. He fell down into sleep. He went down into the ocean. And all these, the word down, down. I mean, And, and jo, uh, the, the author of Jonah is painting a picture of, of him descending into darkness and descending down and down and down. It's a really interesting, really interesting cool here in this first chapter. And so, in other words, idolatry always takes you Where you don't want to go. Idolatry will always lead you. Into bad dark places. You weren't intending. It always leads you. Into a bad place. So for Jonah. Okay. um, The last thing. He wants to do. Is go to Nineveh. And to be around a bunch of pagan idolaters. That's the last thing on his list. Right. Well where does he end up? On a boat full of them, and you know I mean that's the, the picture here like he's he's fleeing from these pagans that he doesn't want he doesn't want to obey God and go there and so he he leads him and he ends up right in the middle of them in a boat in a bad place all right and, um, but the, then okay he wanted so badly to, rep, to protect his reputation, but he ends up looking worse than a bunch of pagan sailors. Y'all see that in the story here? Like who's, they They end up repenting, they end up being the righteous ones. Okay, he, he wanted so badly to preserve his nation, but ends up rejecting the very God that supposedly created that nation, and would could be the one that would protect it. And then he wanted so badly to preserve his righteousness, but he ends up running from God in disobedience fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So idolatry when we have these these goals and we're trying to achieve these things what ends up happening is the very opposite and we end up putting ourselves in a in a bad place. So idolatry always leads us to where we don't want to go. So if you're if you're in your heart is is freedom. I want freedom. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. We end up slaves to the things that we have tried to make yourselves free with okay we 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 want to look righteous we want to look good for people we want to be a good guy or girl whatever and it ends up causing us to be critical and hateful it really ends up being really wicked in our hearts or we want comfort and pleasure problem is that it just ends up creating more discontent and and, and a, a longing a thir- constant thirst for more this is what addiction is all about Or we want control. And our very control of things creates chaos and misery in our lives. Or power. We want power. And the more power we try to get, the more we realize how impotent we really are. Or we want safety. And as we try to create safety in our lives, we end up putting ourselves in danger. So idolatry always takes us to where we want to go. And sometimes the very things that we think are the best are good things in our lives. When they're put above God, they take us down, as they did Jonah, taking us down, down, down. So idols always take us into spiritual darkness. And thirdly, lastly, idols always distort our reality. Idols always distort our reality. In other words, it always leads us. When we put things above God, it will always lead us into what is called spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. And so, idolatry always leads to spiritual blindness. So, if you think about blindness. You want know, to think about blindness as a physical condition. What, so, if you think about what that means. That means that in the physical realm, you, the, the, the the eyeball is not able to perceive the reality that's around it. Correct? Pretty simple. And so, spiritually speaking, spiritual blindness then means that you cannot See spiritual realities, spiritual truths. You can't discern between spiritual good and spiritual bad and so on. You're, and, and so idolatry always creates a spiritual blindness. One author put it this way. When an idol gets a grip on your heart, it spins out a whole set of false definitions of success and failure and happiness and sadness. It redefines realities in terms of sin itself. Let me read that again so you all catch it. When an idol gets a grip of your heart, it spins out a whole set of false definitions of success and failure, happiness and sadness. It redefines reality in terms of our sin itself. So for example, let's use use our children. You have a child, and you're highest goal in life is that that child be successful and have a great life and not have any trouble or whatever. The decisions you make around that child are going to be a disaster. And you all see it all the time, right? We call them helicopter parents. I I, I had a great illustration of what I call curling parents. You know what curling is? You know the Olympic sport? When they had the big rock and they slide it on the ice, and there's the guy in front of it with the broom or girl. With the broom, right? Shh, sh- sh- you know, And that's what people, these parents are doing. They're out there curling, trying to make their life so smooth. And, and and sometimes, if you if you're wise and you know it's good for a child, sometimes something hard, something tough is what makes character and makes a person a better person, right? And so your your goal that you've put up here has now made you blind to the decisions and the choices that you would make that would be more positive and better for your child. See how it works? So idols begin to color our reality, and they begin. So so let's think about uh, Jonah again here in this passage. So many ways. his, His idolatry led him to act crazy. I mean, this is nuts if you think about it. I mean, it's a cartoon almost. God, he's supposed to be a prophet of God. And he's been a successful one. We saw this last week. He's done a good job with that so far. So God comes to him and speaks to him. And says, I want you to do your job and go proclaim judgment to the Ninevites. And he just, he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't complain. He doesn't do any. He just runs. I mean, the text is really abrupt. It says, the word of the Lord came to him and he fled. See ya. He bounced. I mean, it's just crazy. It's nuts. I mean, so uh, idolatry creates in us craziness. And then he's like, throw me from the boat. You know, just, I mean, it's nuts. And at the end of the, the, whole, the whole book, like he said, you know, it doesn't end where the Ninevites repent and everybody's happily ever after. You see him pouting and furious. And he, you know what he's pouting and furious about? Yes, the Ninevites. But he's pouting and furious because the plant God had given him for shade dies. It's nuts. He's lost his marbles, so to speak. Reality is just all over the place for him. It reminds me of uh, an old movie. I don't know if you all remember this. I want to say early 80s, maybe 70s. It's a a story about uh, um, these bushmen in Africa. Can't name it. I don't know what kind. Of, it's a real tribe of people, and they're there. And it shows an air, a, an airplane flying over, and a guy in the airplane just finishes a, a bottle of Coke, Coca Cola, and throws the bottle out the window, and the bottle comes flying down to earth, whoop, 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 and hits him on the head. Ooh, right. And here he he sees this bottle, and and he's like, never seen anything like it. It is beautiful. It is shiny. You can see through it, but it's hard. And so he takes it back to his village. And everybody is amazed by the bottle of Coca-Cola, this empty bottle of Coca-Cola. And everybody's never seen anything quite like it. And they start to discover you can do cool things with it. You know, uh, you can, you can, it's a great tool for mashing things or rolling things. And then the problem is everybody starts to fight over it. And they keep hitting each other in the head with it. It's kind of funny, comedic thing. And then so... The, the, this guy, this, he's like the chief of this tribe, decides that this, that God must have made a mistake, hence the name of the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy. And he decides he's going to take this bottle and take it to the edge of the earth and throw it out, off the edge of the earth. And that's the story, him on this journey of nuttiness, craziness. And his so his re, spiritual reality, if he had just known that that was just human, that's just garbage he would have you know not thought about it but instead his spiritual reality was that the gods have must have lost their mind to give them this one thing and that's where Jonah's at he has lost any spiritual sense of reality and so what happens is a couple of things first worst of all a, when we put our hearts in things outside of God, which is called idolatry in the Bible, it's a very simple thing to do. Okay? First of all, and worst of all, we become blind to God's glory. We, begin, we can become blind to God's glory and His goodness to us. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Y'all have read that before? So there's this I think he means here the enemy or Satan or he may mean just the spirit of the age of idolatry okay either way it doesn't matter okay so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God but what in and what you see in the larger context there is that they're blinded people who are outside of Christ are blinded Yes, by the God of this world, but because they have chosen things other than God. They've put their hearts in idolatry. And what happens is that they become blinded okay, to the, the glory of Christ in the gospel. In other words, the goodness, and the beauty, and the love, and the mercy, what one, one uh, pastor calls the peculiar glory of God. And yes, God is glorious in that he's shining, he's bright, he's powerful, he's, you know, immense and righteous and holy, yes. But it's a, a peculiar glory. He's a God who is willing to suffer and to give and to sacrifice and to love. And it's a peculiar, amazing glory. And when we put our hearts in things other than God, we become blinded to what is truly beautiful. So amazing. Somebody put it this way. John Piper, a pastor, put it this way. There's something wrong with our spiritual capacities to discern. Let's talking about in idolatry. The beauty and value of what we see so that we always wind up preferring other things over God. I've used an illustration so we missed the beauty and splendor of God's glory right in front of us. So there was an illustration. It's actually somebody said this is how Charlotte, North Carolina was started. But there was a guy who whose kid uh, skipped church one Sunday and he was out fishing, and he saw this really shiny rock in the creek bed. He brought it home. It was really big, like about three pounds worth, and it was really shiny. But they didn't really know what it was. So for three years, it was a doorstop. The front door of their house. So one day a man came along, wise enough, smart enough, I think he was might have been a jeweler, and he recognized what that was. It was rough gold. Three pounds worth. And he offered that man three dollars for it. it. Was worth about a hundred thousand in the time. was just millions today. They had no idea what was right in front of them, holding a the door open. And that's what idolatry does. The glory of God right in front of us. And we're looking for pleasure. We're looking t- to distract ourselves. or We're looking uh, for power, success, and all these other ways. And the glory of God, the gift, of all the things that we, our hearts would truly, genuinely long for would be ours if we would just reach out and take it. But also, it blinds us from the needs of others, doesn't it? When we're putting our hearts and all these other things, we, we become focused not on God and how He might have mercy for others, but instead we become focused on ourselves and ourselves only. And even the things, so let's go back to use, looking at our children and our hopes for them. If, if that's our highest goal, we're, we don't really care about them, it's really about us. It's about how I, I look and how I've succeeded and how I've had this great kid or whatever. And so on. You go down the list, and so that, that we begin to serve the very things we hoped would serve us, and so we become blind to others. It always blinds us to the needs of others. So if you look at Jonah, I mean, Jonah flees. God has told him to go and preach judgment to the Ninevites. So on both sides of that, one: if 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 they didn't repent, God was going to. Have judgment on it. one of the most wicked peoples that have ever lived. And we need judgment in this world, don't we? we? We all do. When somebody's murdered somebody or done something like that, we want justice. And that needed. Okay, but Jonah knew, and he says this at the, in the end, he said, I didn't want to go preach to them because I knew if I preached them judgment, there was a chance that they would repent. And we find out that they did. And so, in other words, he's saying, I don't care about them. So all the men, women, children, animals, or whatever is in that, in that country, I don't care about them because my my own idols, my nationalism, we saw, his, his, his ministry reputation and his, his, his own sense of righteousness, those were up above God and it made, made him blind to a whole nation of people that could receive mercy and grace. It reminds me... Of a guy I knew. He was a youth pastor. And he was out in his community. And he preached the gospel to these teenagers. And they received it. He was like, this is amazing. So he invited them to church. He was so excited. He was like, and they came. They actually came. And after the service, one of the elders came to him and said, they can't come back here. Why? because they're black, I don't want them here. So this guy's idol of race, and self-righteousness, blinded him to the needs of others and mercy for others. That broke my heart, I hear that. Reminds me in the, uh, during the uh, 1940s in Germany, during the Holocaust, there's tale of his church. Remember, member talked about this. And, and during the church, the, the trains heading to the concentration camps would pass by the church in the Sunday morning. And, and the congregation, would, and because, and because of the, 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 the screams and the yelling that would come out of these trains, the, the congregation would just sing louder to cover it up. That's the kind of spiritual blindness that occurs when we put things above God even innocuous things that seem pretty good, like raising children. So, let me conclude by saying something. Cheer up. You're a horrible idolater. We say that around here. Cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. However, cheer up. God's grace is greater than you could ever dare dream. He sent his only son to die. To rescue us from our sin and idolatry. He, he sent his own son to show us his peculiar glory. That we might be wooed back to believing and, and trusting and putting our hearts and lives in him. Fulfilling the greatest commandment. That we would love God with all of our hearts, souls, strengths and minds. And our neighbor as ourselves. So practical takeaways, real quick. First of all, Repent. And gaze upon Jesus. This is where we start. We start by stopping, beginning to, to, to repent from putting our heart in things that we know are above God. And we turn back to Jesus. And we gaze upon him and what he has done for us. We see this in that same passage as 2 Corinthians we saw earlier. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's the solution to idolatry and spiritual blindness. Okay, secondly, learn from others or other believers. Okay, notice Jonah didn't talk to anybody, he didn't consult, and he probably should have. Why? Because we're told throughout the scripture that uh, Jeremiah 7 19. 17, 19, excuse me, the heart is deceitful of all things. And so we're commanded in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when we talk about DNA groups around here, it's our small, small three to five guys, three to five girls who meet together over God's word to encourage, whatever, that is a place where we can, and so that's why we've been pushing the DNA groups because that's where you're going to be able to discover it because it's hard to see sometimes. Okay, another is learn from the word, world, excuse me. Learn from the world. Um there was a guy named Hugh Martin on, on his commentary on Jonah entitled the chapter the world rebuking the church. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, chapter 2 is, you know, Nineveh, uh actually chapter 1 and 2. Uh Jonah is the one getting thrown overboard, and it's the pagan sailors who are repenting and and believing and trusting God. So it's the world rebuking the church. And so, in other words, we see pagans responding to God in an appropriate manner, and Jonah was not. In other words, let me tell you what. Non-Christians see our stuff. They see our idolatry. They're aware of it, and we need to listen to them. They say it all the time. They call us out on it all the time. And sometimes we're so arrogant, we can't even see it. They see it. And because we're hearing it from them, we can't hear it. Let me tell you, always listen to your critics, no matter where they are. Okay? Fourthly, learn from your emotions, dreams, and nightmares. In other words, learn from where your heart is. Okay? If you want to begin to explore where are the areas in my life that I might be putting over God, say, emotions. Emotions. Look at your emotions, okay. If you want to know where one area is going to get distorted big time is in our idols, is our emotions, okay? Okay. In other words, unyielding emotions. What makes you uncontrollably angry, uncontrollably anxious or despondent? What racks us with guilt we can't shake? So, in other words, you're, where are you blowing up? Where you know where is your emotions just out of the out of control? Let me tell you, that is a symptom. That you need to be aware of. Okay. Dreams. Let's look at dreams real quick. What do you enjoy imagining? What what are you longing for? What can't you stop thinking about? Or posting about? Or whatever. On internet. Um, What is it that your heart really is longing for? There's. I can. That may be. Areas of potential idolatry. Nightmares. What are you. What do you fear most? What do you fear losing the most? What if you lost it? It would make life not worth living. You know, if you thought to yourself, if I don't have that or I don't get that, I'd just rather die. That might be an idol. OK, so there's just some ways through these that begin to, to diagnose and to discover where our idols are. And the solution is I already said it, that we would turn away from them and turn into the glory of God and Christ. Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning...